Welcome to Shanghai Zhan, a raw and lively regular debate about China tech, advertising, creativity, platforms, and the intersection of it all. Join us each session for timely and relevant discussions on all things China marketing. We'll also be joined by an entire spectrum of China experts, and you can learn more about Shanghai Zhan at our website, johnstation.com. I'm Bryce Whitwam, and I'm Ali Kazmi, and we'd like to thank all of you for your continued support. If you like the show, share it with your friends, or better yet, as we always say, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That improves our algorithm, you know, Ali. That's why we ask people to do that. Because the more reviews you get, the more you go up in the rankings. So we want we want to be up there with the, with the greats and Joe Rogan and all that. So someday. What are the big companies will pay us a ton of money for this? Because right now it's it's is what you said. It's pure love, and it's、uh, it's a lot of effort. Yeah, no, it's pure love. We could call today's episode "Shanghai Rents on New Year." Remember this show, a native Beijinger in New York.、Uh, we have two global executives, Gary Chu and Mark Jiang, who both happen to be my previous clients from China, both living in New York City and both working at the SD Lauder companies, and as I said, based in New York. ELC, by the way, Ali is a multinational manufacturer and marketer of prestige skincare, makeup, fragrance, and hair care products. Its diverse portfolio, many brands that we all know: Estee Lauder, Clinique, Mac Cosmetics, La Mer, Bobby Brown, Joe Malone, London, Tom Ford,、uh, Beauty, and Aveda, and many others, catering to a wide range of consumer needs across the globe, and a massive player in China, as we know, right? Estee Lauder reported in 2022 about 17 billion in revenue and double-digit growth in e-commerce and revenue globally. As I said, I've known Gary and Mark from the China days. Back in China, Gary was vice president of the online business from 2014 to 2020, and was responsible for leading some of the company's dominance on China e-commerce across 12 flagship stores. Mark was previously VP and brand general manager for Mac Cosmetics China. And helped launch Tom Ford Beauty in the country. He's been with Mac Cosmetics for close to 15 years. Mark and Gary are both senior vice presidents, leading Estee Lauder Global Online Ambition. They have worked across continents for two decades and are experts in brand building, marketing, and retail operations. Gary and Mark, welcome to Shanghai Zan. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Ali. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, guys. So let's start out the questions by asking both of you. Maybe Gary, you can start. What was your previous role? I mentioned Gary that you ran the online business in China. Maybe you could talk a little bit about what you did and what you do now. And could you headline your careers and what actually brought you to New York? We'll start with Gary, and then we'll go to Mark. Okay, great. Thank you, Bryce. I actually joined the company in China in twenty twenty fourteen. As a vice president, general manager online. At that time, being e-commerce business only represent a very small mix of the business in a lot of company China. If I was not wrong, possibly less than five percent. So I joined the company in January 2014. My first project actually was to launch a lot of brand, the flagship store on Tmall in May. So which gave me around three months lead time. This was a huge challenge, actually, ten、um, years ago, as you could hardly imagine today. So finally, we made it. We launched the brand in May and made a historic high sales record in the, during the launch period. And we、uh, also completely changed the e-commerce landscape in a prestige beauty category. 
you might heard all of the other story afterwards, including lots of amazing co-creation with the platform Timo, lots of successful launch leading in the category, including Mac story on Timo. Mark and I co-created this success in 2017. So from 2014 to 2019, that was the golden years of China e-commerce and the Prestige Beauty was the most leading category. So I'm super, super happy that I was part of the glory with support from our amazing partners from the platform and our amazing colleagues in China. So if I have to give a headline for the time I'm, uh, I, I was working in, in, China, uh, in China with the Lauder company, I would say golden years of China e-commerce under the glory. So this is the headline I want to give, uh, I want to give the, the time I was working in China. I think that everybody will, will miss that golden time. Yeah. Two years ago, I actually got an assignment, uh, um, a new opportunity to work in New York and uh, leading a lot of companies online in international region outside of North America. So New York, as, uh, as we just uh, briefly chat, Bryce, says, New York is uh, an amazing city with the most diverse culture globally. In my heart, it's such a small island that each neighborhood is very different from Soho to East Village to Upper West, where I'm living today. I really love the city. So another attractiveness to me is my role. It is a completely different way of working in this new global role, very different from the way I got used to in, in the region and in the market. So when you have more senior positions, the complexity you have to deal with will be very different. It's not only the language and the culture challenge. First of all, thank you for having me. While I was in China, I was a MAC Cosmetics and Pang Beauty brand general manager, focusing on understanding the Chinese consumer and also shaping the brand strategies in China. While I was in China, actually, major of my work is to really, on a daily basis, to think about how brand can grow in this very competitive market. So what I did exactly is to grow both brands from almost like zero. I remember it was three, three stores when I joined MAC. Now, after 15 years, it's over 100 stores in every online platforms and being very successful. As Gary has mentioned, uh, digital transformation and also online business uh, was a golden years and I had the privilege to work with him and many other colleagues and platforms together during this period. My purpose to move to New York, if I can give a very simple source, it's a give and take. For the giving part, it's actually the insights from China and strengthen our global brands from the China's knowledge and taking the best practices from around the world and from the headquarter to empower our team's work in China. We always say on this podcast that China is leading in many aspects of e-commerce and social media in the concepts of technology, but also practices, how brands interact with consumers. Certainly both of you have had experiences like that. Certainly Ali and I have had at helping brands like Estee Lauder do that. So can you give us an example of where you think your experiences in China have helped you in your current capacity as a global leader for Estee Lauder? Absolutely. No doubt about it. Uh, China's social commerce and digital truly the forefront. It's really pushing boundaries and shaping the future of the commerce. Uh, the pace and scope of the evolution in China, very impressive. Even more remarkable in China is the unique capability to learn from best global innovations and also seamlessly integrate them. Probably I can take one, let's use WeChat as an example. So this is called Super App. So WeChat is a brilliant fusion 
of many things. It's a fusion of ICQ, Twitter, PayPal, Facebook, all in one. So what's exciting is that the leapfrogging China has accomplished is highly applicable to our emerging markets. I saw the super app phenomenon also in India, in Nigeria, in many places is happening. Why? It's because with a very similar infrastructure as China has done, a lot of countries leapfrog and heavily driven by mobile devices. So without doubt, there are incredibly valuable skills and insights from China that can be carried over to make a very large impact on the global stage. Yeah, Gary, same question. As Mark just mentioned, that China is leading in e-commerce. And in China, you could find lots of very innovative and amazing ecosystems, and as, uh, as well as business models. Uh, we are all very familiar with Timo, which actually is the most successful business e-commerce model. And uh, I call this is a, a, Timo is a classic platform business. So recently, you see lots of emerging opportunity with TikTok shop in China. We call it Douyin in China. This is uh, the TikTok Chinese version. This is actually a breakthrough a live streaming and a short video model empowered by Agri. So Mark also mentioned WeChat. WeChat has a mini program and WeCom, a perfect design for omnichannel experience and leveraging WeChat's uh, messenger app. So another small platform, but it's a very unique platform, which is the Little Red Book. This is an amazing social community led by KOL Contents. So these advanced models are all very unique in China, and they are super, super advanced. I call them Made in China model, because this is mainly, mainly because other models like Baidu in China, this is actually, we could find similar model in US, which is Google. And you could also find Amazon in US, but you could find JD in China. They are very similar. But Tmall, TikTok, WeChat, and the Little Red Book, they are pretty unique. This, this, this is what we call the Made in China model. And of course, now we are seeing, as Mark mentioned, that we are seeing more and more similar models emerging globally. So the experience and the knowledge in China will allow us to have the opportunity to really to lead the global e-commerce with a vision with a practical vision, with proof of concept, because lots of things have already been proved in China. And uh, when we see a new trend uh, uh, emerging in other markets, we could quickly ride on that trend. So other unique experience include how to deal with, uh, this is actually quite uh, unique in China, how to deal with ambiguity, the agility for quick turnaround, because usually we have a very short lead time for everything. And also the lifetime learning uh, attitude because everything changes so fast. As I last time when I I still remember when I talked in a, a NYU event in Shanghai. So one of my sharing to the students in the uh, in the university is uh, we want to make sure that we always keep learning and the lifetime learning. This is one of the most important thing we need to carry on. And the market actually always change and we need to have this kind of open mindset. That's. Uh, we need to always deal with them, deal with the change. I assume also, as you export some of these learnings, these Chinese learnings into the rest of the world, a lot of that also to connect with younger consumers, given that I guess the drive for Estee Lauder company in, in China as well was you know targeting that younger consumer and being at the forefront of of, of that transformation in China and the way you sell to consumers in China. How much of what you're doing is, is, is really uh, focused on young consumers in the United States and other markets? 
So first of all, the, the company has uh, many brands. We're targeting different uh, segments of, of consumers. However, I agree that um, young consumers, especially Gen Z, millennials, they are very attractive to the company in terms of the beauty consumption. In China, what we learned, because it's an emerging market when we started, what we learned is a lot of uh, go-to-market strategy shaped specifically for young consumers. And we learned a lot from that. And a lot of them are very innovative in China only because the, some of the brands are established in the Western markets. So the average consumer age of some of the brands are much older than the consumers who are trying to acquire at that time in China. I give one example. In Mac, we launched a campaign like five years ago, collaborating with WeChat's a very interesting IP, which is uh, their most popular game, Strike of Kings. So we launched a campaign together with the gaming and you know, people who play the game at the time are really very young, right? So by expanding into the young consumers using their favorite games was a huge success. I launched together with Gary. I remember we dropped the game mid of the night and it sold out within one minute. So that proves that young consumers, when you choose the right campaign that is relevant to them with the emotional connections, they really fall in love with the brands. But do you think that's something that's very easily transferable um, when you look at other markets? So that's something that I completely agree with. And, you know, one of the things that some of the conversations, by the way, I'm not sitting in Shanghai right now. I'm sitting in Europe and I've been in Europe for maybe about the last two, three months. And I keep on sharing a lot of my thoughts, my ideas and experiences from Shanghai with people that I've met over here. And they keep on telling me, well, you know what, Ali, that's something that will work in China, but it won't work over here. You know, we've talked about, made references to social commerce. We've made references to digital wallets and payments and e-commerce, et cetera, et cetera. The certainty of doing things in China, uh, that perhaps does not translate as well when you look at consumers in Europe and America. And I guess the question is whether you've also experience that in your, you know, in the marketing that you do for the Estee Lauder company brands? Maybe, uh, Ali, I can take this question that uh, we do see a difference. There's uh, one big reason why young consumer is super so powerful in China. Uh, in general, young consumer is, is super important to, to the brand across all of the region, all of the, uh, all of the market. But in China, young consumer is is particularly important to the to the brand. One of the reason is China's one single China policy, which allows the young consumer actually. Uh, we have a joke, right? So we say, okay, most of the young consumer have has a six wallet. So this is not a case in other market. So the high consumption power doesn't require a high income level. This is quite a unique situation in China in a specific moment. So just give an example that when I talk to some of my colleagues in Europe, they give me different, <laughs> a different point of view. They say, okay, young consumers are really leading the trend, but they are not rich. They, are, they don't really have the consumption power. Instead, they are, they are very poor in some of the market because... Uh, they need to earn the money and in order to get the budget to on the cosmetic products. So this also creates a very unique situation in the Western market. You, if you look at the Western market, almost 50% of the business in beauty coming from uh, indie brand. 
So they are very close to the young consumer, and they have they offer the affordable price. So this actually is still not the case in China market. China market the majority is,、uh, the sales still coming from the global. Prestige and the luxury brand, and、uh, with high price, high quality, high advertising budget. So the purpose、uh, is very different, and the, the 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 consumer actually profile actually also very different. So when we talk about the young consumer、um, in, in in China, and in other words, we need to bear in mind the difference between the、uh, between these two regions, between the region, between country. I was doing some research at, at my school. Most of the students at my school, because the tuition is very expensive, so normally the people are going to come from fairly decent, decent families. And I asked this one Chinese student. I said, "So, what's your foundational skincare brand? Like your foundational one, not the luxury one you buy once in a while, but just your foundational one." And she's like 19 years old, and she said, "Oh, La Mer." <laughs> I, was, I was like, "Oh, okay." We've had recently on the show. We've had some. Other、uh, beauty executives. We talked a lot about、uh, channel innovation from China, big apps and things. What about product innovation? One of the comments we had was that China is leading in the concept of developing innovative products because it's really become the testing ground for a lot of new stuff. We're seeing roll out in other markets. And then we also know that SC Lauder is setting up an innovation center in Shanghai. Are you? Seeing innovations from China on the product side migrate to other markets outside of China. I'm excited to share、um, that I personally visited the new R&D center of Estelora Companies in June、uh, in Shanghai. Let me tell you,、uh, I was beyond impressed. It's a testament of our long-term commitment to the China,、um, and it's a dedication to providing top-notch products and services for both. Chinese consumer and global consumers from here. So, as our CEO rightly pointed out, the investment showcases our belief in China's role as a driving force in global beauty innovation. The R and D is a driver for future growth of the beauty industry in China. It's going to provide better products, ethical products, more sustainable and cleaner products. So, a lot of efforts has been made. A lot of、uh, True beautiful story I heard from the lab proves that ideas from China for innovation can really have an impact on global beauty industry. So I'm I'm truly excited and very confident that the R&D center we invested in Shanghai can help the company's global business in the future. Why do you think that is, Mark? Obviously, the size of the market is important for SC Lauder to do the innovation center. But why do you think China as a market is important for that? Global innovation. What's the connection? China is still the source center. For example, packaging. We do a lot of、uh, sourcing and testing here, and also for very interesting ingredients originated from China. We call them like Chinese or Oriental ingredients. So those are the examples. What are the ideas we can take from China to benefit our product efficacy and also to bring the idea or the concept、uh, to the world? I think the cultural and also the Very special aesthetics that Chinese has on beauty can be influential to the world of beauty. So a, a really obvious question that results、uh, that emerges from that, you know, how ready the rest of the world is to buy, I guess, what we're calling Chinese beauty, because Korean beauty and Jap Japanese beauty, and traditionally most of these cosmetics, skincare, 
you know, have originated from the United States or from Europe. So along with product innovation, what steps are you taking to make Chinese beauty more receptive or for the rest of the world to be more receptive to uh, Chinese beauty? Chinese beauty success, we call it, I remember we call it China Proud, when a lot of Chinese consumers started to use the products uh, made in China. And I found a lot of uh, brands who are good at marketing their brands in China. I mean, uh, China's brands or local brands. They are very good at two things. One is a storytelling about the concept of the beauty originated uh, from China, either rooted in history or in the aesthetics, as I mentioned, in China. The other part is a digital first strategy they adopted here. So I think global brands can take both. The first one is to inform what are the brand story, storytelling could happen and use the methodology not only for China beauty concepts, but also for regional beauty concepts and can leverage this methodology to tell better story of the brand. The other part is how to implement also digital first strategy. I remember your last question, Ali, is about how to attract young people, for example, in Europe and in US, we were successful to choose the channel of the communication that young people specifically loves, like TikTok, for example, to really drive the brand awareness and brand love. So we're learning the methodologies from China and uh, vice versa, China is learning the best technology R&D from the world to inform what the lab uh, future direction is and what the global trend is and try to be innovative and bring the concepts and challenges from the consumers to our lab in China to solve. I remember like years ago, China was not that very much concerned about sustainability, this kind of concepts in the consumer goods. But if you see the new generation of the young Chinese consumers, they are more and more aware of this trend that obviously requires another wave of the R&D in China to drive the brand growth. Uh, I can share another perspective um, um, to your answer. So we talk about Chinese beauty and we also talk about the Korea beauty or Japanese beauty. So one thing is, is very different because uh, it, it is the size of the, uh, the, home, uh, the home country. So if you look at China, that's, uh, uh, the business scale and, uh, and the, the size of population is much, much bigger than the other uh, Asian market. So Chinese beauty doesn't mean we, it's not necessary we sell the Chinese beauty to the rest of the world. We can still sell the Chinese beauty to China domestic market. This isn't. This shouldn't be only done by local brand in China. This can also be can driven by the global company like us. You know what I mean? So it it could be another opportunity. Is uh, the global brand can do lots of product innovation or marketing in, uh, innovation, really to drive the local relevancy. So that's one of the reasons why the company put so much investment in the country. This will give us another chance to really to approach the consumer in a local relevant model. And then you could also see the Chinese uh, traveling consumer to, uh, to global. So we see the quick recovery of the traveler, uh, Chinese traveler to global. If you write you are in New York, if you go to Soho or go to Brooklyn or Williamsburg today, you will see lots of traveling uh, Chinese, con- Chinese consumers there. We can also approach the consumer outside of China, either they're traveling outside of China or they're living outside of China. So, so my point of view is um, it's not necessary we created this Chinese beauty maybe outside of China only. 
Maybe the biggest opportunity is to leverage global innovation capability, leverage global brand building experience to create a Chinese beauty for Chinese consumer in China. That's excellent. That was what I was trying to get to. I think the the supply chain was already attached to China. Distribution and retail. I mean, China and the rest of the world, as was distribution and retail. And the thing that was missing, I guess, within your chessboard. Was making products that were、uh, a lot closer to what Chinese consumers needed, and with all three of those happening in China, that would probably accelerate the pace at which you deliver product, the pace of innovation, and and of course, as you said, it's just a question of how you translate that product to the rest of the world. And so, you're not necessarily exporting Chinese beauty, but you're exporting a product. That's been inspired by ingredients that are sourced, or that is made by ingredients that are sourced in China and exported to the rest of the world. So that sounds really exciting. And do you think the the other two big brands are doing similar, or where would you put yourself on a scale of、uh, you know when you compare yourself with some of the other brands? Having been in the industry for over fifteen years, I I felt like beauty is universal. We can see trends happening in U.S. or France. Very quickly happening in Shanghai a week after or even faster, and vice versa. So I think in the in the future, I believe the beauty standard will be more diversified, be more inclusive, and happening much faster speed. I mentioned before we started the podcast that I now get a lot of Chinese students who are studying in America. Not looking to live in America for the rest of their lives, but just for a few years after their graduations to get some work experience. I always use you guys, Gary and Mark, as examples that Chinese have、uh, what I call an unfair advantage. That you come from a market that is more sophisticated, that is in many cases in beauty is leading. A lot of sectors in terms of innovation, as we've we've discussed now, and I always said that you're here not to learn from the Americans, but to actually teach them about what the future looks like. So, for those students, and from your experience now living in New York, what kind of jobs do you think Chinese students should be looking for in the U.S. or Europe that will help them get into the beauty business back in China? Do you have any suggestions or tips or ideas for for these students? What should they be focusing on? Let me start first. I want to give a small context about the evolution of the retail, let's say, in the world. It's interesting. I was in Minneapolis、um, yesterday visiting the Mall of America. I was so impressed. That's the one and probably the only one in the world, so big, with the whole setup of the like the sea world, the fun land in it. It's it's huge. What I'm thinking about retail, actually, China leapfrog. Why I say leapfrog is China's infrastructure in retail 30 years ago was very behind, behind the world. Then China moved into a very fast replication of the world strategy. For example, building shopping malls, building brick and mortar. However, the retail in brick and mortar in China was still not on par with the developed markets, especially for the rural areas. Where we have the most of the population density, so that's why the e-commerce leapfrog really makes sense. By doing that, China leapfrog from I call it like retail version 2.0 to retail version 3.0, even into the future. I think if the young people who want to join the retail industry, this is the best timing. 
So although we are very humble to continue to learn the brick and mortar one and Omni in the future, the digital innovation will keep on. And also there's a new waves of the digital innovation. For example, blockchain, metaverse, now AI is a very big wave. I believe starting something in marketing first with a very good foundation and then starting the technology could really give the advantage of the students and bring those knowledge back to China for brand building and for the overall retail. Once you have the knowledge from both physical, for example, the experience I had amazingly in the more of American and digital and the future of the tech, I think that's a good balance that you can really make your success career in China in retail and generally in consumer products industry. Despite the working visa challenge, I do have a couple of advice. Right? Let's say, okay, there's no visa constraint. First advice is after they graduated from the university, I would suggest strongly recommend they spend maybe a couple of years in U.S. because the country is so different versus China. Actually, sometimes I always say they are not that different because we are just at a different stage. But still, if you look at the, if you compare two countries, even Shanghai, New York, um, at this time being, you see still uh, you will see still lots of difference. So, just spend maybe two years more in U.S. after you graduate from the school from the university. So this is uh, my first recommendation. So then talk about the job, right? So if I look at the the job they could find here, I just take New York as an example. So there are four type of the jobs. So one is one job is uh, to go to a U.S. company for U.S. business. So this is a this is a very local job, which means you find a local U.S. retailer, for example. And they only do the business in U.S. or maybe even in New York. This is still there. You will see lots of interesting model in in U.S. as well, and you can、uh, you can take this back when you go back to China. You remember that if you look at the in, what happened in inter, internet industry, right? You see lots of innovation after originally coming from uh, uh, United States, yeah. Especially in、uh, uh, in fashion, retail, and the creative area. So another type of job, we, you could find a job in a U.S. company, but for international business, this is truly global because lots of headquarters sitting in U.S. and、uh, in New York as well. So this is exactly what I'm doing. I'm sitting in U.S., but I'm not dealing with the U.S. business. I'm dealing with the international business outside. Of, so this will allow us students to really to have the first opportunity to understand the global market. And the third type of the business, we will see more and more Chinese company um go to U.S. So we call this is too high. So we could still find a job in U.S. but working for a Chinese company for their business in U.S. This is a, we call the too high year, right? It's a, you you will see lots of opportunity, with, especially with the internet retail, and also you will see to find a Chinese company in U.S. but mainly for China business. We call this the Kuajing to bring the U.S. brand back to China. So this actually was a model,、um, not a new model, but this model was、uh, created maybe five to six years ago. So for the students, they, they need to decide which type of job they want to have: either local for local, or sitting in U.S. for global, or、uh, working for Chinese company but for U.S. business, or working for a Chinese company but bring the U.S. brand back to China. That's great. Mark, now that you've spending some time in in the international market, do you 
think that if and when you go back to China, what are some of the things that you've learned? What are some of the experiences that you think that has helped you improve your ability to be a better China leader from this experience? What is one of those key things that you think that's helped your career path being international and how will that improve what you will eventually do back in China? Is there anything that's comes to mind? I think that majorly like two things uh, come to mind. So the first one is if you have ever read the book, Think Fast and Slow, I would say China was fast when I was there. My everyday job is reactive, like really respond to the micro battles happening every day, try to win the market share, lot of activities on and making hundreds of decisions every day. In US, I, I, I say slow, it doesn't mean that the, the work is slow, but you really take some time to plan ahead and think about the brand building elements and how to keep the brand success more sustainable. So I, I think those are the things I've learned as a core of the brand building. Also, as I said, I had a privilege to work in the headquarter uh, because usually the headquarter is taking care of those aspects. So this is a big thing I learned first. That's a really valuable experience because given how China is, let's say, slowing down a bit and it's not as fast as the, the days that Gary mentioned, the golden times that things are slowing down, maybe that type of planning and experience is becoming probably more valuable in China now. Gary, same question. What, what are things that you think you've learned that would eventually improve your ability to be a better China leader? I do learn a lot uh, in uh, in past two years. I can share uh, two maybe um, example. There are lots of uh, understanding gap, right? When I was working in China about uh, U.S., right? So we say, oh, for example, we say U.S. is not advanced in uh, mobile payment. Uh, the answer is uh, yes and no. So my point of view is that very, very U.S. is very, very advanced in payment but not necessarily app-based payment, for example. So the, 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 the contactless uh, credit card can be uh, used everywhere. One is about mobile payment, right? So we have, uh, we have uh, lots of uh, misunderstanding when, I, uh, when, uh, when people just work in, in one country, we thought, that, okay, the U.S. mobile payment is not advanced. As I mentioned, this, the answer is yes and no. So the, if you ask the, whether or not U.S. people use the app to do the payment, this might be not that advanced. But the, the payment itself is super advanced in the U.S. i just give you the example that the, the, the contactless uh, credit card or debit card can be used everywhere for the payment. If you go to the subway, you just uh, use the, your credit card because it's everything, everything configured with the hardware. Yeah? And, um, so, and you could also use your Apple Pay to do the uh, payment, even if you take the bus. Yeah? So the payment is super advanced and super convenient, but, uh, but not in an app model. So this is one of my learnings. Okay, it's important that uh, when you have this kind of understanding, then you might think about uh, the business opportunity in a very different way. So this is one of the learning I, uh, I believe this will bring me lots of value when I come back to China. Uh, this is just one example. That's uh, how I uh, see the country differently when I'm in the country, actually. So another learning, actually, I want to share with you. I'm pretty sure Bryce, Ali, and Mike, you guys all, all will agree with me. I, I go to lots of restaurants in, in, in New York. I can hardly find a restaurant, um, same restaurant in China with the same design or decoration because in New York there's something very unique. So every restaurant should be different. And every restaurant should have a storytelling. 
So you don't have a same design, same luxury design restaurant in in New York. You, you might find a couple of them in up east because where the finance organization sitting there. Yeah, but from uh, from Brooklyn to uh, to Williamsburg to Soho. The restaurants are so different, and then if you look into the details, then you will see okay, there are always a storytelling behind every restaurant. There might be some limitation, right? Some limit, right, with this model because you can it will be harder to scale up. But this is also allow the restaurants uh, to to find the opportunity to survive in a uh, in a very competitive environment. That's why you in in New York you was always see restaurants maybe already existing for 50 years. So this is another my big learning I think when I go back to China, I'm thinking carefully, okay guys, so we need to give every business a storytelling. You need something just beyond a nice decoration, just beyond the luxury price, just a decent place. You know what I mean? It's a storytelling, it's, it's, a, it's everything. That sounds like a focus on brand. Would you translate that in marketing? If, if from a marketing context, what would you say? Is that brand and brand equity and heritage and all of that it is about the brand but it's it's uh, it's it's about uh, how sophisticated we are able to build up a brand so then if i take this uh, this lens and uh, then i look at a lot of brand i mean the local brand in in, in, the, in china so you will see there are tons of opportunity how to further elevate the brand equity and the brand building in uh, and uh, to next level right because uh, the storytelling is just not there. We, we cannot only talk about the efficacy ingredient uh, from Chinese ginseng and the Chinese medicine. This, this is far, far, far from in the, uh, uh, sufficiency, right? So we need to think about the, another angle. So this is not only for brand. For the retailer, we, uh, I think we need the same thing. The restaurant in, in Soho is very different from the restaurant in, uh, in Up West and also very different from the restaurant in, uh, in Williamsburg. Why? Because the story, the way the, how they do storytelling is so different. So just trying to translate that a little bit um, for our guests as well. You know, when we talk about restaurants, a lot of times a restaurant's uh, awareness, if you will, is built off of word of mouth. That means that, um, Gary, you went to a restaurant, you tell me about it, you tell me about the experience you had, the food you had, the decoration, you know, the service, etc., etc., the amount of time you had to wait, sometimes even to the level of, well, I had a really good visit to the washroom even because it was, a, you know, it was very clean or, or there was some special lighting, etc., etc., the way that the water flowed. Like, I'm just trying to translate into the, the type of work that as advertisers or marketers you'd have to do. I guess we're also talking about craft in this case. So it's not only about having the right brand wheel or building salience. Those are theoretically correct. But it sounds like the way you deliver things that you do that consumers connect with and, and touch, feel, see, all of that. Is that correct? Maybe I can take this, Ali. Uh, also to build on what uh, Gary has mentioned. First of all, Gary... When I think about restaurants in New York, I always go to Gary and to for the best recommendations. <laughs> and <laughs> he he really spends the time to you know to eat like like every restaurant, best restaurant in New York City. About the brand building, I think the things I learned very similar as Gary's. I, I will call it diversity and also how inclusive the the market is. Why working in China. Chinese consumers are very much the same. No matter where the geographic is, we have many similar needs. And at that time, and to be transparent, at that time when I'm doing designing the marketing campaign, I assume consumers are the same. Of course, they have the age groups or whatever. We try to segment. But if I think 
Chinese consumer, I never thought about completely different needs from different people. But what I learned while in global, it's really to taking care of very different consumers uh, within the brand uh, consumer base. Then I, uh, for example, we have uh, different races. We have uh, many aspects, ageless, young. And in China, we focus very much on young consumers, very homogeneous. The heterogeneity of the nature of the consumer is really something I learned here and could be beneficial. Why is because for brand building that requires more works, more or deeper works, let's say. Because when you design campaign for uh, homogeneous consumer groups, you can do 360 campaign at a really large scale, try to increase the reach. However, if the consumer base is much more heterogeneous, then you have to craft, as you said, the different go-to-market. The good thing is in China, even the niche is very big. So I continue to see like more and more local brands targeting a niche, craft their skills, speaking directly to that small consumer groups and uh, achieve the good win. So that's my learning. And uh, it's really broadened my cons- customer perspective, how to be more inclusive. So do you see yourself, given the diversity of the consumer around the world, do you see yourself using more AI and AI tools in the operations of your marketing? Um, What plans do you have or what expectations do you have when it comes to the use of AI in your marketing operations? So this is a very hot topic, right? But it's not new. So we had already have lots of scenarios how to apply AI in uh, business and marketing. The really new topic is about AIGC, right? So the latest technology allowed us to really to free up lots of creative resources, I mean human resources, to generate the same amount of the content with a similar uh, quality. So or with the same resource, we are able to produce more content. Why it's important? Because uh, now, the, if you look at the, what's happening in the uh, market, right, more and more content are required in order to do the, do the proper engagement with the consumer. So the AIGC actually one of the big uh, opportunities for the brand to really to either generate the same amount of content with the less resource or to generate more content with the same resource. So this is, um, this is one uh, uh, scenario or one direction we are looking to. So another opportunity actually has been used for many times, uh, sorry, for a long time. We call it real-time media optimization. So basically, this will use with big data support. We are able to have personalized all of the information for the for each individual uh, target audience group. So information including maybe the what what type of creative content and assets. What kind of the merchandise, uh, uh, merchandise program for the consumer, and what's the promotion, and even the timing. So creative assets, merchant, and the promotion, the timing could be super, super personalized for each individual group. So this is another area. So one is about AIGC for content production. Another is about uh, the real-time media optimization. And, and also there's another opportunity, and um, we see this more and more in Western countries, uh, is about how to leverage Robert to, to drive the live chat or conversational commerce. So, so it's not doable that we have, a, have lots of people behind the screen chatting with uh, each consumer. This is uh, still a model in a lot of emerging markets, even in China, because uh, 
It's relatively low labor cost, but it is not doable in the in the Western developed country. So how to leverage the AI technology, Robert, to drive the live chat and conversational commerce? This is a, a big, big uh, uh, deal, right? Uh, in US, I download a uh, download several uh, uh, bank uh, app, several app uh, from the bank, right? So the all I talk to the Robert almost right. Um, uh, for every time I, w- I want to get some support, perfectly. I don't see any uh, uh, issue because uh, this is actually is not the, the rock science, right? This requires lots of training and uh, build up lots of model and build and uh, develop the the, the prop uh, uh, script, yeah, to allow the, uh, the the robot to interact with the, with the consumer. Of course, the robot can also learn uh, learn from the interaction with the consumer. So these are the three major areas from my point of view I see which might be the big opportunity for most of the company, including the AIGC, real-time optimization, and the, 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 the robot-based live chat and conversational commerce. Yeah, I completely agree with Gary. AIGC is a, a, a big future um, to solve many pinpoints from the brands. Headquarters are always from here, from regions. Uh, we don't have enough assets, for example, because the content requirements in each market is huge and there's no way the, the brand in the headquarter can produce enough assets for each and every market. So AIGC can step in to play the role. The, the second part is, I, as I said, the, eventually it's a retail, no matter the conversational sales or if we want to bridge the physical and virtual together, there are many AI applications could happen. It could be like the virtual live streaming by virtual person, I mean. The brand uh, for Mac, for example, we explored the digital twin idea uh, years ago, but at that time it was very cost prohibitive. But the new AI technology is can make that uh, happen very quickly in the future, I believe. The second is uh, I I think the AR and AI combination, augmented reality and AI combination, could be interesting. In Mac, we just had a award by Commerce Next as the best digital experience called hyper-personalized tutorial. That means you can enjoy from the AR and AI help in front of your phone. It's almost like you are sitting in front of the mirror, someone is doing makeup for you and teaching you every step. This was uh, incredible and not possible in the past without AI and AR. I do want to share something. I very, um, some three very nice things about New York here. Yeah. Because uh, I'm, so, I'm so passionate about my experience in New York, so I, uh, I do want to share this with, uh, with the audience and with the people who want to visit New York, because this is, I think this is super unique in New York. So one is uh, about uh, the museum and art. So you have so many museums, you can have so many, uh, you can see so many art in New York. So you, you will see diff- very different type of the museum, like Met, like uh, MoMA, and also recently I went to the Shed. Yeah, so they are very different. So museum and art is one of the big, big um, thing in New York. And whenever people come to New York, I would strongly recommend that uh, they need to at least allocate two days to see the different museum in New York. So another big thing, I'm I actually before when I before I moved to New York, I never done that in China. The park in New York, there are lots of public park in New York. People, everybody knows Central Park, but also you know the Bryant Park and the Hudson River Park. So many park and they are they are designed 
for different purposes, especially in, in summer, you will see lots of a movie in, in Bryant Park, right? So they are so different. And in the winter, you, have a, you can do the skiing there, yeah. Park is, is another big thing. So whenever people come to New York, I was recommend that spend maybe a couple of nights, yeah, just, just to visit the park, yeah. And the last thing, I think, I think this makes New York so different is about the very unique neighborhood culture. Neighborhood is something, I, is a word I learned in New York only. You see Soho and the East Village and the Hearst Kitchen and the Williamsburg and the Dumbo. They are so different. And they are, uh, so this is an amazing part, right? In a such a small island in Manhattan, you could see different neighborhoods, maybe several, several blocks away from each other. By the way, New York is a walkable city. You can walk from one block to another block. So in other words, you can, you can easily experience the different culture or different neighborhood just by walking, yeah. So these are the three things I want to really share with the, our, our audience and the, or, or people who are interested to visit New York. That's excellent. That sounds really exciting. That's great, Gary. Mark, anything that you particularly miss about Shanghai besides not tipping? <laughs> that, always, that always bothers my wife. She hates tipping. She's like, yeah, why do we just had a meal. Uh, she hates that. Is there any, Mark, is there anything you particularly miss about Shanghai? Uh, I think the convenience in Shanghai is uh, <laughs> there's very few competitors in the world. Uh, you can enjoy your life. And, uh, you know, I, I live in the center of the city of Shanghai. So it's so convenient for me to get everything. And my life uh, is actually easier. However, I also want to mention like one thing I really enjoy here is also I noticed from people, people are using mobile phone less than in China because people having more time enjoying the nature, sports, entertainments. While in China, everyone is spending so much time um, on phone. That's that's good and bad, right? Good for our e-commerce business, but uh, I think for a personal health point of view. Diversity of the life is, is much better. And uh, I encourage that everyone who started here to explore very different lifestyles that Gary has mentioned in New York City. I think we're ready for the A-B test now, Ali. That is correct. We are ready for the A-B test. Have you gentlemen had a chance to go to the 60th minute of any of our interviews in the past? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> okay, that's, that's okay. That's okay. You would be the first person. I think we've only had ever... One person that went to the 60th minute. So here goes. Question number one. Ambig- ambiguity or certainty? Ambiguity, Steve. Uh, Mark, speed or accuracy? Speed. Uh, Gary, Tmall, Amazon? Amazon. Uh, Mark, New York or Shanghai? Shanghai. Gary, Estee Lauder or MAC Cosmetics? I'm talking about brands here, not companies. Oh, I love both. Okay, good. Uh, made in China or made for China, Mark? Made for China. Local innovation or global innovation? Global innovation. Uh, Manhattan or Brooklyn? Manhattan. Uh, Gary, Flushing or Futian? <laughs> Russian. <laughs> Work in the USA or live in the USA, Mark? Living in the USA. Gary, AI for content or AI for service? AI for content. Mark, the last one, museums or neighborhoods? I know this, this should have been for Gary, but I ask you, Mark, anyway. Museums. 
Gary, Mark, it was really an awesome podcast. Uh, thank you for being on the show and sharing us your insights about not just your experiences living in, in the U.S. and your global job, but also how some of those experiences relate back to your future careers in another market or perhaps back in China. So thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you, Thanks, Ali. Thank you very much. And thank you, everyone, for joining us on today's episode. Join us in a few weeks for another exciting show. And to all our listeners, until then, have a great day. Thank you.